Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Into the Unknown. Connor, before we start, like, I'm actually just pretty impressed that we've managed to coordinate three time zones today. Yeah, morning, afternoon, and evening is <laughs> is pretty impressive. We've got New York, we've got England, and we've got Taiwan, which is crazy. It's so. mad, but um, yeah, we're very lucky to our guest today is a Ruth Gregory. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I, I wouldn't class myself as a guest, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> a friend, a friend of the podcast and a guest here for here for a chat. And Ruth is a sports journalism researcher for the BBC and a freelance equestrian journalist as well, doing a lot of work for the likes of An Eventful, an eventful Life, stuff like that, and a self-proclaimed sports nerd. So, uh, yeah, good to have you. It makes me sound almost professional. <laughs> Almost, almost. We try. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, well, evening, morning and yeah, afternoon here in the UK. So, I mean, obviously, when we have a media person, especially someone who works for the BBC, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, but all views that you're going to put out today are your own. Yeah, so. And not when... of the BBC's. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. Nothing. These aren't anything to do with the institution. These are all my personal views. Anyway, um, doesn't take away from the fact that when we have someone like you working for a big media company such as the BBC that covers sports such as just covering the um, snooker championships this week, it's currently still covering it, I think, and then next week, obviously, the uh, Football World Cup kicks off. Um, you know, we have a lot of interesting topics to get into, but before that, just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, like how you got into into media had you got into sports journalism and yeah what got you here I think god I almost fell into it like obviously relatable I've always ridden I've always had horses um I come from a very big footballing family um my great-granddad my granddad my dad my uncles my cousins were all big Manchester City fans so anyone that wants to call me a plastic good luck with that doesn't happen um <laughs> so like it's almost like in the bloodline really and then sports just always been a big part of my life I played everything at school um, rode until I was about 16 and then um, I went to the BBC I was very lucky I had a friend who worked and was a news editor there that, at the time and um, they were like oh like come on work experience and I was like oh okay and then um, I went and I was like you know what this is what I want to do and then at uni I did a bit of current affairs for a bit um, went on placements with like the ITV did the general election things like that and then I was always really set on doing sport, I think, because I think you guys will find this as well. Sport's so optimistic and I'm a very optimistic, positive person and current affairs. Yeah, it's good. But um, I'd rather speak about sport and find those niche stories in sport and spread op like positivity and optimism rather than go and box pop someone on the street and ask them about the current political climate or who's <laughs> just won this and the council thing. Um, so yeah, so that's how I got into my job, got my degree, um, freelance for a bit. And then, yeah, here I am. So. No, that sounds, that sounds amazing. It's incredible. Like, seem like you have a pretty ideal job for your situation as well. Like you're able to combine, you know, your love for sport with 
with um, journalism and, and broadcasting and that sort of thing, which, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, you know, we talk about, you talk about optimism and, and kind of how um, you find these stories within sports and maybe some niche stories about, about athletes and teams that, you know, we all love a story about an underdog. Like I love watching Rocky and stuff like that. But, um, you know, um, in terms of that, like how big a role do you think media and I guess just, yeah, media and broadcasting plays in sort of pushing or, or promoting these stories to, to uh, and, and how, how big of an influence do you think it has on people when it comes to sports? Like, you know, especially sports that, and athletes that maybe previously we haven't really heard about or you know it's not a not a mainstream sport like football or or, or such I th- it's so important I think to just there's so many athletes that aren't touched upon and we say it with equestrianism all the time like oh come on let's get a news article here let's get some more coverage here and like to us like Pippa Funnel's an absolute legend Laura Collett Tom McEwen like they are all serious icons and people all the time go to them at shows oh can I have a photo with you and then you go to the mainstream media or you ask the everyday person in the street and they don't know who they are yet they're Olympic mm. gold medalists they've won multiple badmintons and burleys and you just think like it, it, that's even a questionism but even in the terms of like triathlon um pentathlon gymnastics weightlifting athletics there's so many unknown sports stars and I think the media has such an important role to like bring those out and to make and give them the credit they deserve but also to also to inspire the next generation and find that relatability with the audience because there might be somebody sat somewhere um I don't know they might be in a flat in London and um they've not got much money and like with the jet with the current situation economically and stuff and they turn on the tv and they see Mo Farah and they watch the Mo Farah documentary and they're like, you know what? That's really inspired me. I want to make something of myself. And those things can change somebody's life. And I think it's so important that the media brings those messages, draws those messages out and makes them in the public eye, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like I really relate to that because, um, like you say, equestrian and eventing, like it's not a sort of mainstream, mainstream sport. Like we don't see it on the TV. We don't see it on the on bbc one all the time and that sort of thing but like for me like uh, and i don't <laughs> I, I don't say this much now because we're friends um me and um alex hartin who rides for china but like when i was a little kid <laughs> when i was a little kid the, like the reason i first got into eventing was seeing him go to the olympics um in beijing which at the time the equestrian events were held in hong kong um so there was like massive hype through the media um and that sort of thing about Alex, you know, being the first rider to represent China at the Olympics and um, the equestrian events being held in Hong Kong and that sort of thing. So, and as someone who, yeah, like I rode a bit, but I wasn't that, you know, involved with the sport or involved with horses or anything like that at the time, like just seeing that, you know, on TV and and feeling like I'm close to it in a sense, um, that's what kind of kicked off the whole thing. Again, I don't say that that much now because he makes fun of me for it. Um, but yeah, like, what would you say, you know, as someone working in sports broadcasting and sports media, like, what are some of these, like, what really stands out for you? Like, you know, you talk about 
these stories that from these athletes and heroes that no one has seen or no one's heard about like what would the ones that really stand out to you be I think the obvious one from the summer was the Commonwealth. Um, I think sport as well, adding on to that, brings everybody together and it brings an essence of community and positivity and a, f- a feeling of belonging, really. Like we have it within eventing. You feel like you belong to the eventing community. And it's the same yeah. very much for every sport. If you're a football fan, you'll sit with somebody on the bus who's also a football fan and you start a conversation and it's just vital. You're a massive football fan, are you? Yeah. <laughs> no, but if, like you're a rugby fan, you sat next to somebody who's also in a rugby shirt in a pub, you have a conversation with them. And I think it's so important because it brings people together. So the Commonwealth, especially celebrating the Commonwealth, um, it's so important. And that was very special to have that in Birmingham this year. And pinpointing, like you said, athletes that are otherwise unknown, Elish McColgan, um, if anybody watched her, win her gold medal at the Commonwealth Games. She was on our radar. Well, I say on our radar, obviously BBC Sport know who she is, but as a individual, I follow athletics, but not um, not to a great extent, um, but knew who she was. And then just to sit there and be watching, streaming her winning that. And she came back from about 10 yards, 20 yards out and just powered past the girl in front of her and you draw drops and the whole stadium erupted because it was everybody like English, Welsh, Scottish, all the fans got together supporting her in front of the home crowd. And you just think like these moments are so, so special because within that stadium, there's probably about what, 15,000 people and they all want to come together for that one aim to get behind that person. Um, And that was a real standout. And I think the BBC as a whole, everybody was like, wow that that is cool and it's cool that we managed to capture that and that came out by us um and what was so iconic with that as well a lot of it brought different like various demographics together because people in the 80s and 90s would have known her mum who previously also won gold in the same event and her mum trains her so for her to win a gold medal 30 years later from when her mum won the gold medal in the same event trained by her mother that's a very very unique story um, and I think that's why it's so important that the media do what they do to bring, um, to bring those stories out and to put them in the public eye. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's that's amazing. And that's I was actually going to go into that and sort of the importance of the role that the media plays in terms of, yeah, bringing certain things forward and, and bring things to people's attentions, um, especially things that we might not be aware of. And then with that, like even with, the bigger sort of mainstream sports like I, I feel like I don't, I don't know if you agree like I feel like the media in general plays a big role in kind of not controlling but like influencing the messages that get put forward and and, and what people you know what people's perceptions are of certain sports and, and things like that and I mean yeah you, you look at um what Lewis Hamilton is doing um, in terms of, yeah, like his kind of activism against, say, racism and, and inequality and stuff like that. And especially, you know, being kind of open about his own background and how, you know, the, the kind of challenges that, that he's faced to get to where he is now. And and I feel like, yeah, the, the media plays a massive role in actually promoting these stories and making sure it gets to the to the front you know and 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 the people see it so like 
yeah as someone as someone from the media like how do you kind of like yeah like how do you see that relationship between sort of do you know what I mean do you know what I'm trying to say like that relationship between the sports and what you want kind of the world to see I think it's difficult because obviously like uh, how I'm going to put this um every media organization has their own agenda and has their own almost like checklist of what they view as like you're suggesting putting that forward in their own version of stories um but coming off the back you gave Lewis as an example um we've just broadcasted the rugby league world cup that was in um England throughout the last five weeks and there was a guy a former rugby league player um Kevin Sinfield who's just done I think it's 45 marathons in 45 days correct me if I got that wrong um something along those lines anyway and he's raised over a million pounds um for his former teammate Rob Burrow because he had he's got MMD very sadly so he's raised all this money to bring it forwards um and I just think stories like that, like they brought him on at half time yesterday at Old Trafford in the middle of the uh, men's final. And to celebrate a sporting athlete who's right at the top of their game and yet, well, was right at the top of his game, an elite sportsman. And then he's come out and he's done this for charity as well. Mm-hmm. I think stories like that are particularly important because it makes it more humanised to the public eye. Um, because we all get it. We all get really starstruck. I know when I'm in the office and like Becky Adlington's come in for something and I'm like, oh my God, that's Becky Adlington. <laughs> or even like in eventing still, like I think I've spoke to, well, no, I have spoke to all like my heroes. But I remember when I went to badminton when I was like eight and walked past Toddy and dad's like, yeah, you nearly fell over. Because like, I was like, that's my Todd. <laughs> like, oh my God. So like to have big sportsmen like Kevin do what they do, and to report on what they do for charity, it makes it more humanised and it makes it more relatable to the audience and, again, brings that sense of community and unity. And I think that's something very, very special within sport that you wouldn't necessarily get in terms of current affairs. Yes, we have the big charitable events. And yes, celebrities do raise millions and millions of pounds and do some incredible things. But I just think yeah. to bring that element into sports as well is very, very special. Yeah, they're almost using like their superstar status, even outside of who people might know them as, to kind of, you know, shine a positive light on, yeah, I was a great rugby league player, but this is the platform I have now and this is how I'm using it, which is awesome that it's not just about, you know, oh yeah, this guy was a great rugby league player, um, you know, but sharing his personal story is, is really cool. Um, one question that I had actually, I didn't want to butt in because that was a really interesting conversation was why do you think that, you know, media, um, as a whole kind of covers, uh, certain sports more than others. I'm aware, you know, obviously sports have been around for a lot longer in terms of history and more importantly, I guess, in terms of popularity, right? Football is probably one of the oldest sports that, you know, England plays. So I'm assuming that's usually why it's covered more than other sports um but i want i just wanted to get your take on on what you think you know like why why do you think media outlets cover certain sports more than others it's definitely changing now um but yeah i think it's all to do mostly audience and what the audience want 
And I think, obviously, when we put out the Commonwealths and, um, yeah, when we put out the Commonwealths games over the summer, every night, the two main things that went out on network were the swimming finals and the athletics because it's what the audience wants to see. You want to see Tom Dean, Duncan Smith, Tom Peaty, um, James Wilby, again, in comparison to PT, James Wilby is relatively unknown, yet he went and beat Adam PT and got a gold medal. Mm-hmm. Another story that's come out because we've put it on air and people now know him more. Um, gymnastics, for instance, Jake Jarman, James Hall, Matt's Whitlock's very well known. He's been to the multiple Olympics, but these young lads that are coming through, it's so important to give them the airtime to get them more universally known. So they can inspire the next generation of young gymnastics wanting to come through. Um, but what was I going to say? God, I was going to give an example then. I can't even remember. Jeez, it's gone off the back of my head. But yeah, no, I think in terms of what get, what you're saying is some things are relatively unrepresented than others. I think my, my personal view on this, I think it's audience, um, like what the audience want. And I think like the World Cup tomorrow, we're putting out the England-Iran game. And you know for a fact that everyone's going to be at the at work. It's midday on a Monday. Mm-hmm. And everyone's going to be like, right, let's get it up on BBC iPlayer or the BBC Sport website. We want to watch this England-Iran game, which is a lot of pressure for us who have to actually get it on air. And you've got millions of people watching it. And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, But <laughs> like that is in demand because people just are so addicted to football and they Mm. love it and it's in their face continuously. Like the England-New Zealand game at the weekend at Twickenham, rugby union, if you saw the scenes in the stadium there, people, it's so in the spotlight and you've had amazing athletes. Mike Tyndall now, I'm a celebrity. Yes, he's married to Zara, but he was a rugby union player and he did play for England very successfully. So I think because you've got, them in the media more than others in comparison to say eventing um even now yesterday we put out the world trampolining championships um and gb won team gold and we were the most successful um most successful team at the world championships and yet oh, wow. none of us yeah like we we wouldn't know that would we yeah, yeah. um well, I mean, and I when think- you said about trampolining i was like what's was that like yeah and I had to give it a google um but Bryony Page she's an Olympian she's a European champion and now she's previous world champion and like you wouldn't know that if that didn't go out on air or media outlets outside of the federations didn't write an article on it Mm. um I think going back to more niche sports equestrianism as a whole we are so lucky that we've got the amount of people that work within equestrian media and do the jobs Mm. they do because the coverage that people do within equestrian media is incredible and it's so diverse. That's amazing. And I think that like the lights of the eventing podcast, Nicole Brown is just phenomenal with what she does with that. Um, Tilly Barron, what she does in terms of writing, Lucy Elder, obviously Pippa, Catherine Austin, all these renowned journalists who have worked for years their work is going to pay off in the long run because it will get the sport more universally known Mm. because it's given it that much more airtime and it's pushing it in the public eye. And I think you talk about media and the media's role and like broadcasting it and whatnot, but I think social media also has a massive, a massive Mm. role to play. And I know from my job, I do a lot of research. We have to look behind and have a look at like, Oh, who's won this in the past and stuff. 
Um, and it's so much easier when you can go onto social media and type in like eventing or something. And then there's a forum or a platform or multiple media forums there that have all the information for you. And you're like, brilliant. This is all I need. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Bang, on the BBC website. Um, whereas if there's a federation that don't necessarily have the funding or they don't necessarily have the same um, platforms and people working in their own media behind it, it's a lot more difficult. Um, yeah. So I think my personal stance on it is if you have amazing people that are so passionate about the sport within the sport itself, then that plays off massively in getting it more known nationally, if that makes sense. Mm. It's yeah. almost like a yeah, train kind of thing. Yeah. Do you, think, point... oh, sorry. Do you think that, sorry, do you think that there's a um, sort of uh, an element of, you know, some sports might be more difficult to, to kind of push to the mainstream such as say equestrian um for, for different reasons like for us it might be sort of that kind of um even like whether or not we are the you know there's elitism in the sport or kind of that exclusivity um and you know we talk a lot about the really high barriers of entry and stuff like that um is there a sense that there are just some sports that are more relatable or, or at least perceived as more relatable to to the public and, and you know even as simple as that that might be a part of the reason why just rugby union will never be as popular as football like just the perception of it you know I don't think it's necessarily that I think that um like if you look back bringing snooker back into the equation the reason that snooker was so popular and the bbc in the 70s well 60s 70s 80s is because david attenborough at the time um was within the production team and it's when um color first came into television because it always obviously always being black and white and david attenborough suggested wow this will be amazing you can see the color of the snooker balls let's get it on more <laughs> mainstream yeah um and and then Wait, how did night. you watch snooker before that in black and white yeah like it must have been how how what's going on like, <laughs> exactly did he win? and i think did he lose? yeah i just think like pe things like that people if you actually look back into the origin of sport and what's got on tv and what's not um and like snooker for example pioneering bbc sport almost um in what we've put out and now looking ahead to what we do triathlon and i'm gonna the women's euros to be honest is a massive example i did my dissertation on women's football uh three years ago and it was when we were in a covid lockdown and i spoke to a couple of people who trained for various different clubs and they weren't allowed to train but the men's team were and they were like well hang on a minute we okay we're not in league two the championship league one or whatever but we're still elite athletes at the end of the day why haven't we got the same opportunity to train as the men um and that was really interesting to have their approach on it and then I remember finishing it and being like right well next year is a really important year because we've got a home euros like this could really kick start the sport and get momentum behind it and then it's exactly what it has done. Like tickets sold out for the final. I think there was more people within Wembley Stadium for the final than there was at the men's Euros 12 years, uh, 12 months before. And then when you see the viewing figures, 17 point million people tuned in to watch that women's final. 
Yep, so many people are dismissive about women's football. Oh, it's women, Mm. they can't play football. Oh, it's a men's sport. But again, it's giving it that airtime and giving it that positive light. And then the creation come behind and it gives it that momentum. And most people don't realise this, but a lot of professional female footballers, maybe less than five years ago, had full-time jobs as well as being professional athletes. And like when when I have conversations, I'm fortunate enough to coach a few female footballers you know I have I have to have conversations that I have but you know female football will never be as big as it as it you know men's football I'm like that's because they've never been given the chance but you don't understand that these girls have to train every day they're playing maybe one to two games a week and they have a full-time job because they're not getting paid so like the argument is almost a non-starter like if you if we actually gave them the coverage and and now it's it's so much better. Like I love the fact that you referenced the Euros because we mentioned that maybe a couple of podcasts ago that you know, I got goosebumps watching the game because it was the first time that I'd ever watched a full Euros televised for women's football. And it was just like, it was spectacular. Like the football, the quality of football was unbelievable. You know, that's why people watched it because it was better than the men's football. <laughs> Like and it actually... doesn't have as as much as I love men's football, and I will be there at work tomorrow cheering <laughs> on team. And as much as I go to a lot of football matches, and I love it, and I love the atmosphere, the I've in comparison the feeling of going to a women's game and a men's game, you feel a lot safer. The mm. people there, it's it's very interesting. I'm used to going to the football on a Saturday. I'll have a pint with my dad and his friends and you sit in the stands and there's people swearing. Um, there's people fighting outside, rival fans. It's just football culture. Like you sort of accept it. Whereas when you went to a women's game, it's kids, it's women. Mm. There was a, not yeah. a single swear word ever, which I was like gobsmacked. When I went to the semi-final um, at the the semi-final that was at Sheffield United's ground, Bramwell Lane. I was like, wow, no, nobody swears here. Whereas I'm used to going to an away game and people are like screaming at you and you're like, oh my God, <laughs> I just want to support my team. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it. Like you were saying, you are sta- you were outstanding by having watched it live and the atmosphere just within the stadium. When you look at the images 12 months previously where people were jumping the turnstiles, there was a lot of violence and just the way some of the fans acted, it painted football in that negative light. Oh, football hooliganism, football's this, football's that. And then the way that fans acted towards the women's game was so much different. It was so different. Um, It was so important to get that positivity behind it. And then going into the World Cup next year in Australia, um, it's quite, yeah, I think we'll have a lot more people behind it and looking forward to it in comparison to this summer when we were so lucky to have it in our own country, yet so many people dismissed it. Mm, Definitely. Definitely. Speaking of um, the World Cup, we've got the, like we say, the Men's World Cup, Football World Cup, kicking off tomorrow in Qatar. What's what's it like? Like, you must be busy. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, we're very lucky, the department I work in, um, we are, we are busy. I'm very lucky. I, I'm not actually working that much of it. I'm doing the FA Cup. Um, and the way okay. my, um, my shift pattern's fall and I'm only doing two games, which is quite nice. Um, but I'll still be across it. Um, but everybody's 
I think as a whole and same with the nation, it's a World Cup. Like apart from the Olympics, it's probably the biggest event we do um, in terms of audiences, definitely. And I just think personally to me, I love a Euros and I love a World Cup. When you're in it's summer, you're in the beer garden with your friends, you're watching one big telly screen at the pub and everyone's fr- like somebody scores, everyone throws the beer in the air, like the whole atmosphere of it. Like I'm not going to go to the pub and stand outside and watch it on the TV when it's raining and it's cold and it's in December. Um, like and yeah. we were like talking about audience figures. I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether they actually increase because the amount of people that will be watching it independently on their own in comparison yeah. to where you've got 7,000 people in a beer garden, which are watching yeah. it on one screen. Um, so I think that from my perspective anyway, being a bit of a, a stats geek, that's going to be interesting to see the figures. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we're all really looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be great as it always is. We love a world cup, but I think the nature of the controversy behind it is sort of dampened it down a bit and it hasn't got that same level of excitement as it would have done probably four years ago with Russia or even last summer. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because (laughs) obviously that is a massive topic at the moment. And like you say, there's a lot of controversy around just even just the fact that it's being held in Qatar um, with there being a lot of sort of questionable choices from the government as well as, you know, human rights violations and, and things like that, accusations from the UN and, and you know, the list kind of goes on a little bit. But um, nevertheless, they've decided to hold it in Qatar. And, and you know, it's how do you, I guess, from your perspective, um, how do you balance you balance that you know the fact that obviously we don't want to dismiss the kind of the issues we don't want to dismiss the the politics and the social issues behind behind um the fact that the world cup is held in a country that is very controversial in terms of its kind of um human rights standards and and things like that and, and the choices that the government makes but at the same time we also can't miss the opportunity to to show sport like it and and show top level sports and and like we talk about the the inspirational stories and the optimism and then and that this kind of collective positive energy that happens when something like the world cup or an olympics comes around and and sort of everyone gathers and gets together towards this one big event you know like how do you kind of juggle between the two um, I think this is external just as a journalist and what I've been taught um, at university and stuff. We have a duty to have that balance um, and you have a duty to report it truthfully. And I know that every single journalist, whether they're from the BBC, ITV, Sky, FIFA, whatever, anyone that's out there reporting has a duty to show that equality, um, show that equality, to show that like, split and to do it truthfully but also to a degree that it is a sporting event so yes it could be a human rights issue or a current affairs issue but at the end of the day you also are reporting on sports and that's the main reason Mm -hmm. why you're there um so it's finding that fine line within it I think and I think everyone that's gone will do an incredible job of finding that and I think we're seeing already like the fan zones and like people that are paying 180 pounds to stay in inevitably a plastic tent um (laughs) 
which is yeah I mean I'd rather go to a festival than go to Qatar <laughs> stay in a plastic tent to be honest <laughs> um but I mean yeah it's very difficult but at the end of the day like you have a duty to please audiences and you have a duty to stick to what the current like you have a duty to stick to your principles of a journalist and to show it truthfully as what it is and like you could say the same um everyone says it like with the environmental debate at the moment you have climate change deniers um and as a duty for a journalist in this is theoretically if you're going to report about climate change and we know it's happening, we've got these figures, you've got all these opinion leaders and scientists behind it with actual stats, you just can't deny it. And then you have people who do deny it and don't believe it. You've got to show their view as well, because that's your duty. You have to show mm-hmm. this balance between the two. Um, but it's very difficult to show that degree of balance because obviously you want to lean towards the side, like, right, we need to take action of this. But then there's other people that are like, well, hold on a minute. Do we actually um again the covid debate people that are anti like anti-vaxxers versus pro-vaccination it's showing that degree of how can you balance it and i think going back to sport and something controversial like this it's a massive sporting event the whole world's going to be on it everybody's eyes are going to be on qatar um that degree of how you show okay well this is this amazing sporting event messi's just scored a hat trick at the world cup Ronaldo's in the World Cup final, is he going to win it? Versus, or hang on, apparently hundreds of people have died building these stadiums. It's very difficult to find that balance in between. Um, And I don't think you could actually pinpoint it and actually say, this is it. I think it's going to be very, one of those things that they find the feet and get themselves for it kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure they will, but... um... You know, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's almost the case that, you know, the fact that it's being held in Qatar is kind of, yeah, a kind of promotion for Qatar in itself, you know, and, and sort of putting it in somewhat a positive light to begin with. And it's interesting, you know, you talk about at the end of the day, you're, you, you are you guys are sports journalists and you're presenting sports and you're broadcasting sports and that's that has to be the focus of it but there are also times when I suppose it you know it merges with other issues that you just can't really get away with like or you can't separate from the sport you know for example when um you mentioned Lewis Hamilton before and then I remember last year I think almost this time last year when um you know, Azim Rafiq's testimony on, on racism in in English cricket um, and things like that, that kind of, when there's almost, you know, that was almost an accusation that racism was kind of institutionally sort of set within English cricket itself. And that's that's something that, you know, like who who who's meant to report that? You know, like it was really interesting seeing different, approaches whether it's reported as part of as part of sports um or it's that it is done separately um how much of that like yeah like how much of that do you do you see and do you work with i mean personally my day-to-day role um i just work on the output side of things so very much what i do is 
find uh, we build and put streams out on air and it's very much like results this results that story here story there kind of thing but I know like colleagues of mine who are journalists and friends who work for other journalism organizations um they've done some incredible work and very very difficult situations like you say like the cricket that came out last year you've got to be very very careful on how you report it and obviously there's guidelines and advice that are given how do you approach it um and i think as a as a journalist um you have to approach it very mindfully in that this is a serious debate this is a serious issue and it's not an isolated incident either i think very often things like that are rooted to other things um worldwide not just within cricket um so you have to be very mindful of people's feelings and people's approaches and that's i think that's a very i admire anyone who can get given a story like that and report it the way that they do report it in such a great way because it's so difficult to do um and again that's just that sh reflects their experience within the industry yeah it definitely was done really well and just a lot of people actually that i've spoken to who are kind of involved in the in the cricket world um after that story came out actually there was a lot of like positive influence from it and kind of a positive effect of you know other people who might have experienced similar things um kind of realizing that all right like it's actually it's actually really common and, and you know it's fine the, the feeling that it's finally being brought to the forefront of the conversation um and they have something to kind of relate to and, and and more of a community and i think the community as a whole in within cricket as is at least from the people that i've spoken to kind of changed and shifted their perspective a little bit and become more mindful of these things um and yeah so i think obviously the media plays a massive role in in that and influencing these kinds of shifts in opinions and things like that and yeah, uh, like Connie, you were saying earlier about about weightlifting, and and yeah, I think it's just really interesting, kind of how much of an influence, um, sort of things like the media has on, on you know bringing sports forwards, and you know certain sports that maybe were a bit behind others in terms of coverage or, or popularity, and and you know being brought to the forefront, and you know, you, I think it's really interesting with weightlifting, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, so I mean, I guess well, I started lifting back probably like 20, around 20, 2012, 2013. And I think the coverage for weightlifting, it thing is, weightlifting is not a popular sport. Like it's just not. I mean, watching people do what effectively they do in the gym every day, you know, to most people, they're like, oh, so you just lift weights. Like, yeah, pretty much. That's that's pretty much what we do. Um but since 2012, you know, the coverage, obviously it being in our home nation, right, really kind of spiked viewership in uh, not just people watching weightlifting, but actually engaging in the sport, which I guess, you know, is <clears throat> kind of a point I wanted to make earlier is for me, the two things that really come out of media coverage as a whole in weightlifting and in other sports is the popularity increases so people actually get interested in weightlifting so they actually start doing weightlifting so as an ecosystem of people earning money from that sport i.e coaches and athletes 
it grows exponentially because it's now more popular, which is exactly what Ruth was saying not 10, 15 minutes ago about, about football. Um, so I think that's like the biggest thing. And, you know, for, for coaches back in 2012, rarely would you have seen, uh, you know, a remote weightlifting coach or a coach owning their own gym, apart from the people who had been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years. And it's just part of their blood. But the second thing as well is, you know, shining a light on, on Emily Campbell, um, you know, winning gold at Commonwealths and the first female to step on the platform and, and win a medal at, at an Olympic games. Um, like it, it was just amazing to see the coverage that came out of that personally for her and the opportunities that she is now being given because of the coverage directly because of the coverage that the BBC and, and so on and so forth gave her, you know, she's got sponsorship deals with Nike, which she might have gotten because like off her own back, but I think it's kind of accelerated her growth and her, I, I guess I want to call it like a superstar status in weightlifting. Like everybody who does weightlifting now knows who Emily Campbell is. And I think that's a great thing from an individual, like from an individual such as myself involved in weightlifting that, okay, she, she's a weightlifter, but also she's representing our community in Nike ads, you know, in loads of other sponsorship deals. And I think it's just, it's really exciting to see the power that media has in a positive way. Like Ruth said, you know, she's very positively minded, like <clears throat> she reports the good in, in sport and, I think that's just for me, it really sticks out in my mind that that kind of image that what she's kind of given, you know, what Emily Campbell has given the sport and and in return, the media have, you know, paid it forward. So, yeah, I, I don't really know if uh, there was a question in that, but I just wanted to share like a personal story. <laughs> of uh... Emily Campbell, like, and again, an athlete that wasn't really touched upon until she did come out and she did so well at the Olympics. And then, all eyes were on her at the Commonwealth Games, being in Birmingham. And even like the opening credits, going back, I've seen so many opening credits over the summer, Jesus. But um, mm. the one that we put together for the Commonwealth, so I think it's very iconic. She's coming up from behind a building. Um, and the fact that she's even on the opening credits as an iconic English athlete within that Games says a lot of how highly regarded she is within the sport, but also in the world of sports media in general because she is just iconic and what she's done to break barriers um and I think again like you go back to the women's euros and like even Becky Adlington like god 20 2008 was it she first won her gold medal at Beijing um and I was nine eight or nine at the time and like when you're a little kid watching the tv and you're like oh my god like this woman's well this girl is amazing and she broke so many boundaries within swimming she was the first obviously we've had incredible swimmers in the past but she was the first real English well British women swimmer to have been so successful and then going back to the football like people like Jill Scott I know she's an I'm a celebrity now and everyone's like Jill Scott's amazing like I've been shouting about her for like seven years I just as a football fan I think she's really cool and then she said at the end of the women's Euros when they interviewed her and they won um, that that win wasn't just for the team and for the future. It was for every single English women footballer who's played previously. And this was a win that got the recognition for women's football 
in the English game. And you look back at people like Alex Scott. Okay, she's well known now. She's a presenter. But Alex Scott was a very, very good footballer. And Ellie Anuko as well. People like that that have seemingly been overlooked. Mm. Um, it's great now that 20 years down the line, they're finally getting the credit that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. And another point I wanted to, to before we move away from weightlifting, because that's all I ever seem to talk about is, um, I remember watching an interview after she won, uh, she won a medal at Tokyo and the reporter asked her like, you know, if, if you want to get young girls into the sport or people into the sport, I remember her saying something like, you know, I don't look like a typical athlete, but what my body does is amazing. And I think that really stood out to me because in so many different sports, you have this idea of what an athlete should look like. And I think, especially in recent years, I've noticed, I don't know whether it's, um, whether it's actually direct or whether it's just, you know, uh, by chance, but I've noticed that the media have covered athletes that maybe don't look a certain way, you know, and I think that in itself outside of sport is, is a whole other kind of conversation starter that, you know, athletes don't have to look a certain way. Like they are, they are there because of what their body does for them. And, and yeah, it's, um, I get, yeah. A question I wanted to ask kind of off the back of that, just to keep this going was, you know, what, ha, what's kind of like the process you go through as a journalist? Cause I'm interested, you know, you say you discover this athlete and you kind of want to bring them to light. What does that process look like with, without obviously giving us your, you know, eight hour day schedule or. <laughs> I think it's, we, um, the way that I do things is obviously like, giving examples of the Commonwealths. Um, so you put the big names because obviously everybody wants yeah. to see the big names and they attract people. So you put your PTs and everybody like that. I remember watching the Duncan Smith, um, Duncan Smith, the James Wilby, Adam Peaty um, race at the Commonwealths when Adam lost. And I was literally putting an image of Adam into the page for the day after, um, because he was going to be the head, the big headline, like Adam Peaty in action. And everyone was like, oh, he's going to win another goal. So it's going to be like, Adam goes for his third goal at the Commonwealths. And then he got beat. And I was like, mm. oh my God, I need to change all this round. Like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, that's another thing on my task list for today. Um, but I think it's very much, we love finding, like, well, I love finding the next, the people that deserve it, that aren't on the surface. And it's just if you do your research and you're like, oh, who's in this? Oh, it's a brick. Brilliant. OK. And then you look back, and you're like, oh, they've won a youth medal. For example, bringing eventing into it. Um, I remember, well, we streamed the World Championships in Protoni um, at the end of the summer. And my bosses knew I was going and sort of just gave it to me and were like, right, you know what you're on about. Write as a promo for it. And I, I did it in like 20 minutes. I was like, oh. This is easy. I can tell you the squad. Michael Young's going. Julia Kogowski's going. Yep, amazing. And then um, Yasmin Ingham, it was her debut, senior debut. And like knowledge, when you're in a sport and you have that knowledge and you've followed them for years, it's, for me, I love then having the opportunity to bring Yaz's name mm. forward and putting it on that page. Like, oh, right, so... Um, senior debutant Yasmin Ingham and Banzai Dilawar 
cross country this time, BST, blah, blah, blah. And then she's world champion. And then you're like, see, now <laughs> you're going to look it. at it. Like yeah. <laughs> just become a world champion. And I think in like, that's the beauty of, I think what I do that if there's so many people, like, I love my eventing, I love my horses and I love bringing that into my job. And then there's other people who are really, they love rugby league. Mm. Um, they love triathlon. There's a girl that absolutely loves wheelchair basketball, things like that. And just having people with the same heads, but they have their own suitability to their own sport is so beneficial for us because then we can, because we have that knowledge within the sport of the next young, amazing star that's coming through. Mm. When you have the opportunity to bring it forward to the nation, it's really exciting. Um, I, yeah. I guess yeah, that that's... passion comes across as well, doesn't it? That like oh, definitely. You know... Like, um, there was there was a guy called Delicious Ori who won a gold medal in the boxing at the Commonwealth Games for England, and um, no one had well, we hadn't heard of him. I'm not really a big boxing fan, so I was like, oh my god, who is this? And then we're like, yeah, Delicious Ori, and everyone's like, oh, like who is he? And then he won a gold, and we were like this is amazing. And like, yeah. I remember at the time we were like, oh, you know, the next big thing in British boxing, we just put out on the TV. Um, and yeah, like, let's see how we get Sonny might go to the next Olympics. Like yeah. Tom Daly, for example, I remember watching the TV in 2008 and it was this 13 year old boy going to the Olympic games for diving. Mm. Here we are 2022 and he's Olympic gold medalist. And he's such a, a patron for sport and also gay rights. Mm. like it's so yeah. important to have athletes like tom who are yes they're incredible they're great for the sport but also they bring that relatability to younger people who are unsure of their sexuality but you know tom daly's come out and he's been successful yes we yeah. know that he's faced a lot of criticism and a lot of challenges but he's made it work and he's such an icon in british sport it gives that person that younger person who might be in the same situation a lot of confidence um, yeah. I think that's when going back to everything, the media's role and how important it is. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. No, that's that's really that's and that really goes back to you know what we were talking about about sort of showing that human element and and humanizing you know the the person behind the athlete and the, and the people behind the sports and and the role that media plays to 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 kind of push that forward. And so, you know, kind of off air as well, we talked a little bit about how important it was that people got to see this and, you know, people got to see what was on TV and people were able to sort of flick through the channels and, you know, go on to BBC or ITV and, and see maybe a sports that they've never seen before and, and kind of be inspired and, and, and learn and maybe, you know, lead to them picking something up and, and, you know, I th I think that plays a massive role as well in kind of breaking down those barriers, especially those kind of exclusivity barriers and making sports more inclusive and accessible um, to everyone. And, and so, like, yeah, I, I know that you're passionate about that as well, Ruth, and, and you know, in event, eventing as well, we talk about it. You know, there can, a lot can be done still with kind of pushing those messages forward and kind of breaking those barriers and showing showing the public that are oh, you know there are people that that you know aren't just super super rich and are able to to buy themselves into the sport and there's a lot of different ways of of kind of 
pushing that forward and, and, and entering the sport and you know stuff that that Lydia has been doing with um cool yeah, writings she, and stuff her like work's that. amazing like, yeah like what do you think what, what do you think can be done like what's what could be next what from my personal um my personal experience with it I think the illusion of it's not there like it's it's unattainable to get involved I think that whole mental barrier of I don't belong there because I'm not like them is more of a barrier than the actual barriers in place if that makes sense um so like even like I've ridden all my friends a lot of my friends ride majority of them ride and I'd say in comparison to my non-horse friends I'm more involved in the sport but also I still feel like very much of an outsider within the sport because I'm like well you know I don't have a horse anymore like I can't relate to a lot of people who ride every day but I still absolutely love the sport and I'm still obsessed with the sport and it's something I enjoy and I am so lucky that I get the opportunities that I do and Debbie with Eventful Life's amazing and like I think that is the biggest barrier that it everything's there for you to go and get within the sport if you put yourself in a position to go and get it if that makes sense um, and I think that's why it's so important for like people like Lydia and Khadija Mella in racing to say to these young kids, OK, right. So what you're seeing, yes, you might not have a 12 ton horse box and a beautiful yard full of horses, but it doesn't mean that you still can't get there because there's a route in for you and we're going to mm-hmm. show you how. Um and I think that's another big part of media. And again, that's why I think the work that Tilly does, she's brilliant at giving people credit. Like there was a Canadian rider. Oh, I want to say, I can't even remember Mike his name. Winter. I'm so bad. Pardon? Mike Winter. Yep, sorry. Mike Winter. And he had um he had a badge on his jacket at the World Champs. Um, this is so bad. I really should have been so focused on Snooker. I can't remember what it was for, but it was symbolizing anything and symbolizing unity and like something controversial going on at the time. And it's like, great, brilliant. Pick that out because he's not scared to have his yeah. opinion. He, he will no, have his opinion no, heard and show his yeah, representation. It's... Yeah. I've just yeah, made a no, sham. Sure. I didn't really answer that question, really. I've just like <laughs> no. I mean, that's really good, and it's kind of stories like that, like you say, that that should, you know, get highlighted. Oh, um, without and... a doubt, I think it. I think a big thing within eventing as well, well, within all equestrian sports, it shouldn't always be the results. Okay, yes, it's the wins and this and that that give it the limelight because at the end of the day, it is an elite competition. That's why you do what you do because you want to win things, you want to achieve things. Mm. But I think the stories of how people have got there are so much more important. Like, for instance, um, Sarah Clark, the Australian rider who came and completed Burley this year. And I think she sold, well, she put so much commitment into getting here and then she's left him here and then she's coming back to do Burley next year. Like, that is some determination to bring a horse over from Australia and then to be trust him, bless him with David Dole, who will look after him well, I'm sure, go back and come back next year. And it just has that 
that's an amazing story to me because that's where there's a will, there's a way kind of thing. And it gives you yeah. that inspiration. And that's the story. They're the stories that give the, the younger children inspiration to, I can do this. This sport isn't out of reach for me. Jay Hallam as well. I know he wrote an opinion piece last year in Horse and Hound, which I just thought was amazing because he was basically saying that it's not unattainable for anybody to get involved in the sport. He's at the top of show jumping, so well-respected and so well-known. And yet he just came off um, he came off a town estate. Like he didn't come from a country estate with lavish, lavish cars and lavish money. And I think that's what's so important is to drag those stories through. And they're the ones that give the audience and the future stars the inspiration to carry on and to pursue their dreams. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like you say, it's, you know, as important for the media to kind of highlight those stories of of whether it's, you know, issues that are being brought forward, as well as kind of the stories behind the athletes. Uh, it's always, it's kind of as important to highlight those as it is the, the competition and the performance and the results. And whether that's, you know, you mentioned Mike Winter and kind of representing uh, or highlighting the issues within Canada with the with the indigenous people and the disputes um, in their land with the government and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we talk here a lot. And, and actually, it's um, I a couple of weeks ago I was lucky enough to to go to to Ebony Horse Club in in Brixton, um, and I shared a day kind of meeting everyone and and. Uh, Lydia did a talk there and, and kind of used me as an example and stuff. But um, meeting all the all the kids there and um, the kids who, you know, obviously haven't grown up around around horses or come from a really horsey background and they live you know around the corner in the in the council state in Brixton and and are able to come to this this place in the centre and, and learn to ride and learn to work with horses and you know they it was overwhelming the fact that a lot of them talked about Khadija um, and, you know, how, what she done um, kind of through the media and, and through, you know, the documentary that she did, as well as, you know, all the bits and pieces that she's doing now in kind of, yeah, pushing forward herself as a jockey, as well as her community, you know, and, and the community of people who, wouldn't be your obvious candidates at the moment to be at the top and be successful in the sport, but have as much of a fighting chance to to get there as everyone else. And actually, a lot of these kids are, you know, they're going off to to racing school and they're going off to become jockeys and they're getting these opportunities from these places to to kind of get a foot into those careers. So it's actually really inspiring to see that and um, goes to show the importance of. You know, like you say, that kind of that representation within the media and and what what's shown on TV and what's shown on even social media um, to kind of inspire the people and, and show people that it is possible because it really is. I think that that is probably the biggest my personal stance on it, and I think what's the most important thing about media is making giving people that hope that yeah you, you can do this there's no there's nobody telling you that you can't do this like and like you look at Rachel Blackmore for instance like her year was phenomenal she just took the racing world by storm and to win the Grand National um and like you look back at racing and the history of racing like it was frowned upon for women to even ride 
competitively racing. And then Rachel Blackmore's just gone and two things up to everyone else and she's won the Grand National. And I think people, that are so important because, again, that's such a landmark. I, I wouldn't, don't want to say victory, but it's such a poignant part in getting females involved within racing. And Khadija, what she does to give people from not necessarily the most horsey background the opportunity to be involved and that whole idea of optimism and the belief in yourself that is the most important part to me that is the most important part because if you speak to any elite athlete they'll all tell you that they struggle the most with their self confidence and can they do this mentally like you could even you say Bolt for instance like physically he it's just there was nobody that was ever ever going to beat Usain Bolt. Like he was just insane. Me- Michael Phelps, the guy, I don't think's human. Like he things he <laughs> weren't, and yet they, what fueled them was the belief in themselves that they can do this. They have got this. Yeah. So yeah. what's so important is the media to put out those messages to the next generation and to the kids that are wanting to be the next superstars that okay you can do this have the belief in yourself and you will get there yeah yeah that's 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 a bit of a tangent yeah (laughs) no No, absolutely i I feel like that's that rounds it off really well as well yeah and i know that khadija as well would be happy to hear this because she's a friend of the podcast is she Um, but um yeah just to finish off as well i know that you know, with the BBC, you guys are busy with the sneaker and the World Cup kicking off tomorrow. I'm going back to the World Cup and just to reiterate the fact that all these are your own. Who's going to win? <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm very biased. I want all of the city players to get knocked out so that we can come home with no injuries and we can go win the league. <laughs> um, so, like, to me, I really hope Spain and Portugal get knocked out very early on um because I want Rodri home but um no I think that um Brazil will probably win I think looking at their squad I mean I love England to bits and I don't know I'd like to see us do well but I just think in comparison to what Brazil have to offer and Argentina I just don't think we're in the same league as them so yeah that's my prediction so let's see if that happens watch them get knocked out in the (laughs) quarterfinals like i said off there my money's on brazil but you're the expert and um i think at the start we said that you're a sports nerd and also really optimistic and i think you've shown that and i I think you know we could have could have gone on for that for hours um (laughs) there's still a lot to talk about but we have hit that hour mark and we're gonna let you go and do your important things in My broadcasting, <laughs> in sports journalism, and thanks for thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and taking your time to hey, you're welcome. To talk thank to you us. for having me. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, and also just sharing your expertise and you know your opinions and stuff like that is in like always enlightening. We always learn from you know the experts, I guess, because we bang I'm on no, about nowhere near an expert. <laughs> well, compared compared to us, compared to us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It was really insightful no it's a pleasure thank you before we go do you want to plug anything plug yourself no i'm too too <laughs> modest for that <laughs> all right in that case cut this bit out bro. <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> so you do you want to plug where people can find you 
Yeah, so on Instagram, I am at yushuan.su.eventing. On Facebook, I am yushuan.su.eventing. And my website is suyushuaneventing.com. What about you, Connor? Mine is at Connor Lift Stuff on Instagram and at Stoic Strength Systems on Instagram. And we was also just set up a Patreon under the same name, Stoic Strength Systems. So give those a follow. I will put the links all down in the description if I figure out how to do it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you like, share and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.